0: Ever wonder what history's most famous and infamous people would say if you asked them for their side of the story? Well, this is it. You're listening to Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. I'm Charles Dance. This is a dramatized series based on historical events that resurrect some of the world's most memorable figures. In this episode, we meet Iva Tagori better known as Tokyo Rose. American-born, she traveled to Japan to visit family in July, 1941. In hindsight, her timing could not have been worse. Hindsight, you've heard of them, but now it's time you hear from them.
1: Hello there, enemies. How's Trix? This is Anne of Radio Tokyo.
0: It is 1944, and the woman behind the microphone is committing a crime. At least, that's how the Americans will see it.
1: And we're just going to begin our regular program of music, news, and the zero hour for our friends. I mean, our enemies, in Australia and the South Pacific.
0: She's dressed simply, her short hair plaited down behind her ears.
1: So, be on your guard, and mind the children don't hear.
0: She reads with a gentle smile, almost as though she's happy to be there, by her own volition.
1: All set? Okay. Here's the first blow at your morale. The Boston Pops, playing Strike Up the Band.
0: U.S. troops crowd round the radio to hear The Zero Hour, an English-language news and music program produced in Japan and broadcast to troops over the Pacific. It's been about three years since Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. The Second World War has been dragging on for five years, but the propaganda is as fresh and persistent as ever. The aim of the Zero Hour was to try and demoralize U.S. troops during the war. And dropped in the middle of it is Tokyo Rose, a name given to represent all English-speaking female broadcasters. But through a series of events one woman would be pegged to this wartime legend. This is the story of Iva Tagori, a US citizen stuck between two warring worlds. Question is, was she duplicitous or just simply naive?
1: My father, Jun, came to the United States just before the turn of the century in 1899. He was only 17. He was from a small farming village in Japan, and when he arrived in the U.S., he was eager to start a new life. But it would be years before my mother and older brother could join him.
0: Despite working and living in the United States for many years, John was denied residency in the U.S. time and time again. So, like many Japanese at the time, John obtained his Canadian citizenship, in order to travel easily between Japan and the United States.
1: My father was a very determined man. Six years after they married, my mother finally joined him in San Francisco, along with my big brother. I came along three years later in
0: 1916. John, Fiume, and Fred were all Esai, otherwise known as first-generation Japanese immigrants, who were not naturalized. But since Iva was born on U.S. soil, she was the first in the family to have American citizenship. Iva and her two younger sisters became a Nessai, an American with Japanese immigrant parents. I was born on the 4th of
1: July. (laughs) What a day to celebrate. Dad always liked to throw a party, and I was never sure which he loved celebrating more. My birthday or Independence Day. I know which I loved more. Come on, Dad. Everyone is almost here. Where's the cake? My dad was so proud to have his daughter born on the 4th of July. He used to tell me he felt like he had won the lottery. When I was four, we moved to Calexico on the California-Mexico border. And boy, did we have a great time there.
0: But racial prejudice was building in California.
1: I remember the day so clearly. My brother and I had run home from school eager to see our new baby sister, June. We came through the kitchen door to find our mom packing all our things into boxes. What are you doing? I, I was confused. This was our home. Why were we leaving? I don't wanna go. Where are we going? No one was telling us what was going on. My mom looked upset, and it scared us. I now know, of course, what it was all about, but back then... Well, I never felt racial prejudice while in school. I never felt there was prejudice among teachers or schoolmates. The
0: 1913 alien land law had allowed John and all non-citizens to lease agricultural land. But the rules were tightened in 1920, making owning or leasing the land illegal. This meant Ivor's father could no longer make enough money to support his family, so they left Calexico.
1: We eventually ended up back in Los Angeles. My parents owned a grocery store, and after school we'd rush home to help. Fred, come on, help me carry this. We lived in a typical American neighborhood with mostly white families. I was raised as a Christian and went to grammar school. I was very popular.
0: This keeping up with the Joneses approach was more calculated than Iva seems to remember. Her father chose their neighbors carefully. He designed their lives so that his own children grew up playing with mainly Caucasian children. He also discouraged his children from speaking Japanese, not wanting them to stand out or attract unwanted attention.
1: Well, I supposed he felt it was safer to be as American as possible, especially after the San Francisco mayor said that the native Japanese are as undesirable as the imported. Dinner is ready! My mom would still cook traditional Japanese food, though, (laughs) but I preferred a traditional American meal. Mom, we had rice for breakfast. Can't we have mashed potatoes for dinner? Living in Los Angeles was great. My friends and I used to always listen to swing music. I loved playing piano and sports, like tennis, baseball. I'm up. (whistles) Go over. I wore out more shoes than all of my siblings
0: put together. Her grades were good, rather than excellent. But her family had high hopes for the first American in the family. In 1940, Iva graduated from the University of California with a degree in zoology. But she never got the chance to pursue her career.
1: Mom, look! Uncle wrote you a letter from Tokyo. Dearest Fumi, I hope you and your family are healthy. I'm writing to ask you a favor. Your sister is very ill. Her diabetes and high blood pressure, well, I fear she may not have long left. She asks for you every day and wonders if she will see you before she dies. Please come as soon as you can. Yours, Hattori. Don't worry, Mom. Let me speak to Dad and sort it out. You rest.
0: Iva's mother and aunt both suffered the same ailments. The diabetes and high blood pressure that were endangering her aunt Shizu's life also made her mother Fumi too weak to make the journey to see her sister.
1: Mom hasn't seen Shizu in 30 years. Dad is too busy working, and Fred, he is too. Inez and June are far too young to travel on their own. I had a sinking feeling that it would be up to me to represent my mom in Japan.
0: Years later... She gave two reasons for going to visit a sick aunt and to study medicine. Whatever the reason, Iva was on her way to Tokyo.
1: My dad booked my ticket. My passport wasn't ready, but it didn't matter. Japanese Americans always traveled with their ID certificate. And besides, we were told I could just apply for my passport once in Tokyo.
0: Little did Iva know that this was the beginning of her journey. To becoming a household name
1: before i set sail my family threw me a joint farewell and birthday party at our local chinese restaurant everyone was there including my college friends some of our neighbors came too now june don't be messing with my things while i'm away (laughs) you know you'll miss me
0: on the 5th of july 1941 a day after she turned 25 Iva boarded the Arabia Maru, a passenger cargo ship. She did not travel lightly. She took 28 pieces of luggage filled with food and presents for her relatives.
1: My mom was worried about what I would eat. I took baking powder and flour so that I could bake bread instead of eating rice. Bye, everyone. Love you. I'll see you soon, Mom.
0: She would never see her mother again. No one waving Ivor off that day could have known just how bad things were getting between the United States and Japan. The two countries were already on opposing sides in the Second World War, but in July 1941, relations were getting decidedly worse. U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt froze Japan's assets for invading British and Dutch colonies in Indochina. American and Japanese ambassadors were desperate to keep the situation from escalating. Iva was blissfully unaware.
1: It was my first time abroad, and even though I had not wanted to go initially, I was excited about having an adventure. I traveled with my childhood friend, Chieko Ito, who, like me, was American with Japanese immigrant parents. She was going to visit her uncle. We were both looking forward to being at sea and seeing another part of the world, but the journey was horrendous. Chieko and I were sick every day. After 19 days at sea, we finally reached Yokohama. You can imagine my frustration when I wasn't allowed off the boat. No, I don't have my passport. I don't have a visa either. We were told I only need my certificate of identification.
0: The world was changing quickly, and Iva's ID certificate was no longer enough. U.S. citizens now needed a visa to enter Japan, and a visa required a passport.
1: Let me speak to the captain. Our families are waiting for us. When our temporary visas did finally arrive, it was too late for them to be stamped, so they forced us to spend the night on the ship. That night, I lay staring at the ceiling. I was miserable, tired, and scared. I hadn't even wanted to come. I should have stayed on that boat and gone straight back to the US. But then, my story would have ended there. We were eventually allowed to get off the ship, and there, waiting for me, were my relatives. (laughs) I was easy to spot. In the US, I stood out for looking Japanese. Now that I was in Japan, I stood out for not being Japanese enough. It was so strange. And it wasn't long before I figured out I needed to keep my mouth shut too. They didn't like how American I sounded. The weeks and months dragged on. I had a difficult time adjusting to life in Japan. I didn't know what anyone was saying and, well, they could be rude. I wanted to go home. That September, I went to the U.S. Consulate in Tokyo to get my passport. What do you mean no one's looked into my application? Please look again. But I am a U.S. citizen. Why do I have to wait for Washington to prove that? Here, look. My ID card. I was told this was enough. Please help me. I just want to go home. I'm a U.S. citizen.
0: It was becoming increasingly unpopular to be an American in Japan. Iva wrote to her family in October 1941.
1: I have finally gotten around to eating rice three times a day. It's killing me. Fred... Settle down and get married and do the best you can with the business. And be content and never think of coming to Japan. June and Inez, you both do the same. There isn't a day that goes by without thinking about home.
0: In two months, the world would once again be turned on its head. But Ivor's Japanese was so poor she wouldn't have understood the news reports. Japanese Ambassador Kichi Kichisaburu Namura and US Secretary of State Cordell Hull had been meeting for the last year to try to find a peaceful resolution to the growing chasm between the two countries. And when Japan refused to pull its troops out of French Indochina, the US banned oil trade with what they called aggressor countries, including Japan. Resources were now becoming harder to come by in Japan. The Hull-Namura negotiations to draw up a Japan-US trade and peace agreement had reached an impasse. War loomed in November 1941. On the 1st of December of that year, Iva received a telegram from her father.
1: That's when I learned truly what was happening between the United States and Japan. My dad begged me to return immediately, saying it was too dangerous for me to be in Japan.
0: After reading her father's letter, Iva set out to get urgent clearance to board the Tatsoto Amaro, destined for Honolulu.
1: I never got my passport, so I prayed my determination would see me through. I'm here to get my clearance for travel to the US. Yes, yes, I'm a US citizen. Here are my identification papers. It's really very simple. Just see this is the money I have left. No, my passport hasn't arrived yet. Please, I have enough money to travel. I need to get onto that boat. Ugh. The Japanese were in no rush to help an American. They told me it would take days to get me the approvals I needed. I had run out of time. The ship left without me.
0: It would not have mattered because the tomorrow never made it to the United States. Seven days after it left Japan, the Imperial Japanese Navy attacked Pearl Harbor and it was ordered to turn around. Japan and the United States were at war.
1: I could understand the word war in Japanese, but I couldn't believe that war had really broken out. I was warned by my uncle and aunt not to be seen reading a paper written in English. I went around in a daze for several days.
0: But authorities in Tokyo knew exactly where to find the American.
1: I tried to leave, but they wouldn't accept my papers.
0: We are here for Eva Toguri.
1: No, please, I'm not an enemy. What? Absolutely not. I'm an American citizen. No, please stop turning up here. I'll say it again. I refuse to declare myself a Japanese citizen.
0: Stop being so stupid.
1: Get away. I've done nothing to you. When I wasn't being harassed by the police, I was being heckled at by our neighbors. They called me a horio. That's a prisoner of war. They also called me a spy. I was a target and the pressure on my relatives was too much, so I decided to move out.
0: Iva now found herself alone in wartime Japan. She was an enemy alien in the eyes of the law.
1: The letters from home stopped now that we were at war. I tried to contact my family through the International Red Cross, but nothing worked.
0: Thousands of miles away, her parents were living a parallel experience. As Japanese-Americans, they had become the enemy race in the U.S. The Tagori family were forced out of their homes and placed in the Gila River Relocation Camp in Arizona, an internment camp for Japanese-Americans during the Second World War.
1: I didn't know any of this at the time, of course. All I knew was that I had to put my head down and find a job not easy when you're an outcast, but I had to find something. I was hungry, and because of who I was, I was forbidden food rations. It was hard. No one would hire me for jobs that could be filled by their people. Eventually, I got a job as a piano teacher, and then as a typist at an English school. I moved into a boarding house, but I had to find more work because my salary was so poor. That's how I found myself at the news agency, Domei Tsutsensha. My Japanese was still inadequate, so my job was to monitor Allied and American broadcasts in English. This was how I learned how the war was going. After almost a year in Japan, I finally met someone I could openly talk to. His name was Philippe. He was kind and curious and worried like me about what was happening in the US.
0: I no longer felt alone. Philippe D'Aquino was a Portuguese citizen of Japanese-Portuguese ancestry. He too was registered as an alien national. Slowly, a romance blossomed.
1: Philippe was a blessing. And when I became sick, he was there for me. I was hospitalized in the summer of 1943 for scurvy, beriberi, and malnutrition. Yeah, I didn't eat well. When I was well enough, I applied for a new job. I became an English language typist at Radio Tokyo.
0: Unwittingly, this was Iva's first step to becoming Tokyo Rose.
1: Radio Tokyo was full of life, and it was great to be in a place with other English-speaking people. I would smuggle in food for the three prisoners of war forced to work at the station. It's okay. Take it. They were all English-speaking broadcasters, producing propaganda programs started by and for the Japanese authorities. One of such programs was Zero Hour. The name Zero Hour was actually quite loaded. It meant the time set for the start of an attack, but also the Zero was the most feared Japanese fighter plane at the time. Zero Hour was designed to demoralize morale among American GIs in the Pacific. It was also meant to intimidate. So here's what we need to work on. You can trust me.
0: One of the men I ever worked with was Major Charles H. Cousins who'd been captured by the Japanese of the fall of Singapore in 1942. When the Japanese learned he'd been a radio announcer in Australia, they forced Cousins to produce the show or face execution. This is the Zero Hour calling in the Pacific. And for the next 75 minutes, we're going to take you through from...
1: music. Major Cousins came to me and asked me to present the Zero Hour. What's that about? He told me I would be entertaining U.S. soldiers. He'd write the scripts, and I'd read them. Why me? I've never hosted a radio show. Well, it would be something different.
0: And here, Iva fell through the trap door. Her fate was sealed.
1: Greetings, everybody. This is your little playmate, I mean your bitter enemy, Orphan Anne, with a program of dangerous and wicked propaganda for my victims in Australia and the South Pacific. Stand by, you unlucky creatures. Doggone it, there's a war on, isn't there? So none of this
0: singing nonsense.
1: I trusted Major Cousins and believed him when he told me we were creating an entertainment program.
0: Cousins was trying to subvert the Japanese propaganda machine by writing satire into the scripts, intended to actually lift morale among Allied troops. On-air mistakes, innuendos, muffled readings. Yes, Iva grew confident in her role at zero hour. While dozens of English-speaking women worked as presenters on the show, American troops lumped them all under one name, Tokyo Rose. Unfortunately for Iva, the American public will want to put a face to the name.
1: Well, I suppose you guys would like to know a little bit about me. I had never been asked to be behind the microphone. But the lighthearted scripts and the way we could play around on air, well, I really enjoyed it. I was part of the war effort, and I felt a kinship with the Allied soldiers. I loved the work, especially the music. But it wasn't to last. I worked on Zero Hour until the 15th of August, 1945, VJ Day, Victory Over Japan.
0: 世界の大勢と...
1: Japan surrendered. Well, by this time, I was also a married woman. Philippe and I wed in the spring of 1945. With the war finally over, we had our whole lives ahead of us, and I could go home.
0: On the 2nd of September, 1945, Japan's surrender became official, bringing an end to the Second World War. But the effects of war linger, of course. In the US, victory celebrations filled the streets, but waves of post-war hatred lined the curbside. Life was hard for Japanese Americans after they were released from internment camps. Propaganda posters during the war were effective in dehumanizing all Japanese. And then came the stories of returning soldiers. They'd reminisced about Zero Hour and the women behind the voice. They associated Tokyo Rose with their wartime woes. Americans needed someone to blame, and it became far simpler to create an image of one calculating young Asian woman. Tokyo Rose slotted nicely into the narrative. Sensing a story, reporters in the US raced to get the scoop. Who is this Tokyo Rose? They eventually got a name. Iva
1: Two American reporters, Harry Brundage and Clark Lee, approached me. Nice to meet you. I was quite surprised to be asked about my time at Zero Hour. I was apprehensive at first, but the amount of money they offered was incredible. Two thousand dollars. Philippe and I needed all the help we could get to move back to the U.S. I answered all of their questions. You know, it was pretty risky business subverting Japanese propaganda. None of us ever gave in. Sorry. What do you need me to sign? I was not aware of any need for a lawyer. It all seemed straightforward to me.
0: Iva had not read the situation well.
1: I had not realized that Lee and Brundage were only interested in finding someone they could pin as being Tokyo Rose. The day after I gave the interview, an article appeared in the Los Angeles Examiner with the headline, Traitors Pay. The stories they printed about me completely ignored what I told them and my story of wartime survival. I never broadcast propaganda like they wrote. They lied about what I had said and done and even wrote a completely false confession. What's more, I was never paid. The other mistake I made was signing a contract that said Ivarikuko is the one and original Tokyo Rose. On the 3rd of September 1945, I was arrested.
0: Tagori spent one day in custody because the sergeant in charge had been a fan of Tokyo Rose.
1: Hmm. Well, I wasn't out for long. On the 17th of October, 1945, I was arrested again. The U.S. Army investigated me and I was taken to the notorious Sugamo prison in Tokyo. That's where General Tojo was hanged just a few years later. Nobody told me what was going on or what the charges were. I was not allowed a lawyer, not allowed to contact anyone, not even my husband. I didn't get any clean clothes. Can I see someone? What about my rights? They put me in with war criminals, political prisoners, people who had committed fraud or hurt people, but what had I done? God! The luck! How much more was I supposed to endure? I cursed the day I ever got on that ship.
0: It would be two months before Iva's husband, Philippe, was allowed to visit. After that... They had 20 minutes once a month. Unbeknownst to her, when the war ended, U.S. officials destroyed all recordings and transcripts of the alleged Tokyo Rose. The one thing that could have exonerated her was lost.
1: Everything about my time in Sugamo was ghastly. There were American congressmen, too, who visited to poke their noses around the door when I was showering. That was not the American attitude that I had been brought up with. There was no dignity in that place. I counted down each day until Philippe could visit. Each minute together was a blessing, until the day he arrived with a letter about my mom. The Red Cross tried to get it through, but couldn't until the war was over. It was old, the letter. My dear brother Fred had written it to me years before. My mom died in the internment camp in Arizona in May 1942, and I know nothing about it. My mom had been dead for nearly four years, and I had no idea. I should have been there, I should have been there. She had died on the way to the concentration camp in the stench of a stable. She could not withstand the journey. She was only 54.
0: Iva's father, John, and her three siblings were eventually released and resettled in Chicago. They were not allowed back to the U.S. West Coast. Iva spent a year in prison before the United States Army found she had committed no offenses according to military law. Iva walked out of prison in October of 1946. Philippe met her with a bouquet of flowers.
1: You missed you.
0: Finally, it's over.
1: Finally, we were reunited, and I could start to think about going home. I had still not been given my American passport, so Philippe and I reluctantly began to make a home for ourselves in Tokyo. I wanted to go back to the U.S. so badly, but Philippe wanted me to keep my head down, to not give the press anything more to write about. Japan had become even worse after the war, <laughs> if you can imagine it. Food was so scarce and expensive. I agreed to keep ourselves to ourselves until things settled down, but I always held on to the dream of returning to the U.S.
0: But then, Iva had a new incentive to get home quickly. In
1: 1947, I became pregnant. <laughs> we were overjoyed. Of course, this meant... I wanted to get to the US before the birth. My child should be American like me. Little did I know my fellow Americans had something else in mind.
0: In the US, anti-Asian groups and the Los Angeles City Council knew Iva wanted to return, so they started a campaign to get her tried. Brundage, who'd initially interviewed her, was aware of the witch hunt. He rushed to Tokyo to try to get another interview with Iva, but she was not herself. Two weeks prior, her son had died the day he was born. Nothing
1: made sense to me then. I was in the depths of despair, and here was Brundage, telling me that this was the only way I could return to the United States. So this will definitely mean I can go home. He said if I did not sign his papers, I would be stuck in Japan forever. If this is my only way back, then so be it.
0: Iva signed his interview notes and in doing so ended her long suffering uncertainty of getting back to the United States. On the 26th of August, 1948, Iva Taguri, now 36 years old, was heading home in handcuffs. Philippe only found out about her departure when he read it in the newspaper the following day.
1: I arrived home in September 1948, seven years after I left. I was escorted to San Francisco to be tried on eight counts of treason. The city was renowned for its anti-Japanese sentiment. That was not how I remembered being treated in my childhood. Anyway, we could not afford an expensive lawyer, so three civil rights activists and lawyers took my case for no fee. There was nothing to do but wait patiently as the trial unfolded. I would try not to think about the trial too much. I just focused on getting prepared for each new day in court and making sure I was presentable. This had happened before and everything had turned out all right. I just had to keep my head down and get through it.
0: Ivor's trial started on the 5th of July, 1949. She remained composed throughout appearing in a pristine plaid suit, calmly taking notes on a yellow notepad.
1: I was back home now, and I was sure the charges would amount to nothing.
0: No verdict.
1: See? Like I said, two hung juries. The prosecutors had no real evidence against me. It was time for me to
0: finally be reunited with my family. But that verdict was not going to sway a system that was set on a conviction. The judge serving on the case denied the defense of some of their witnesses, and the jury selected was all white.
1: What happened next was ridiculous. If you want an example of how not to run a justice system, keep listening. The judge said that the case had cost too much money for there to be no verdict. He ordered the jury to make a ruling. What is your verdict? What did they say? It can't be.
0: When they returned, the jury found Tagori guilty on one count of treason. She was sentenced to 10 years and fined $10,000. Tagori's lawyer called the verdict, guilty without evidence.
1: I was at a loss for words. I had never imagined that they would find me guilty. Philippe was allowed to come to my trial. After the verdict, he took my hand. We'd never hold each other again. Goodbye. I ended up spending six years and two months in prison. I got a few years off for good behavior. <laughs> I was released early in the morning on the 28th of January 1956. I can still remember how the winter air hit my face. Ah. <sighs> I nearly fell to my knees when in the crowd I saw a face I had longed to see for so many years. <laughs> my dad.
0: I'm so proud of you.
1: He said to me, You're like a tiger. You never changed your stripes. You are American through and through.
0: Iva, 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 here, Iva.
1: But don't celebrate for me just yet. An agent from the United States Immigration and Naturalization Service was waiting for me, too. The government was still treating me as a stateless person and threatened to deport me. How exhausting. They eventually gave up on that threat of kicking me out, but I remained legally stateless for nearly three decades.
0: Ivor's conviction had also cost her her marriage. During her trial, her husband, Philippe, was permanently barred from returning to the US. They were forcibly separated and reluctantly divorced in 1980. Later, it was revealed that FBI agents had trained the prosecutor's witnesses to lie to the court. Ivor avoided the press, but did once tell a reporter that she would never forgive the two men who had fabricated stories to get her convicted. Ivor was one of only a handful of US citizens to ever be convicted of treason. She was finally exonerated in 1977 by U.S. President Gerald Ford on the morning he was about to leave office. Without much fanfare, explanation, or an apology, the pardon restored her citizenship. She lived her life being known as the fictional Tokyo Rose, the infamous Japanese legend cast an enormous shadow over her life. Iva is now remembered as a war hero for her radio programs, subverting Japanese propaganda, as well as a victim of injustice and a scapegoat for the racial discrimination of post-war US. In 2006, at the age of 90, Iva received an award from the Second World War Veterans Committee, nine months before her death. Hindsight is narrated by me, Charles Dance. This series was produced by South Podcasts. Their team is producer and editor, Tala Alisa. Associate producer, Asant Samut. This episode is written by Louise Sinaton. Sound design by Tessir Kabani. Sound editing by Mahmoud Abunada. Research by Rama Sabanek. Fact checking by Bayan Alaruri. Iva Taguri is played by Khalis Pier. Director Zain Ganma. Recording by TVC Soho Studios and the VoiceOver Gallery. Additional research and fact checking by Al Jazeera and Lin Nguyen. Script editing by Danello Avaleshka. The senior copy editor is Hala Sudani. Joe DeFries is the executive producer of special projects. Juan Carlos van Meek is Al Jazeera's director of digital innovation and programming. Hindsight is a historical drama podcast. All dramatized scenes and dialogue are inspired by historical events and old interviews with people close to the subject.